Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I'm a partner at Manchester Living and the host of the Manchester Living podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. There is a lexicon of elder care terms on our website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. Today, we are talking about the not-so-glamorous topic of elder abuse. It must be discussed. Uh, but first, let's get to the new and noteworthy. This is a clip of a transatlantic pen pals who live almost 5,000 miles apart in Texas and England and have been writing to each other since 1938, make their first video call as they both turn 100. It's nice to hear your voice. Yes, you look very well and you still got getting out for walks. Well, so long as, so long as it's a seat nearby where I can plop. <laughs> Keep the emails flowing. Okay, you too. All the best, dear. So take care, Celeste. God bless. Bye, dear. Bye. Bye. Technology is a beautiful thing. I love that story. All right, let's jump in. Today we're talking about elder abuse with two industry experts, John McNair, Jay McNair, Dallas Law PC. Thank you for being here. And Julie Krawczyk, Director, Elder Financial Safety Center at the Senior Source. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. All right, let's jump in. John, who are you and what do you do? So it's John McNair. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney in Dallas. I've been practicing almost 40 years and I help people with estate planning, probate and uh, elder law, which is mostly uh, helping them qualify for governmental benefits like Medicaid and VA benefits to pay for long-term care. But it also is specialized estate planning in general estate planning to perhaps avoid exploitation as we'll talk about today. Wonderful, thank you. Julie. Well, I'm the director of the Elder Financial Safety Center. So we are collaborative with the Senior Source, Dallas County Probate Courts and Dallas County District Attorney's Office. We offer prevention, protection and prosecution services. And I primarily oversee the prevention services at the Senior Source. You got a big job. Big job. Big job. And we're coming up on celebrating 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, in doing research for this episode, I read that over 40% of nursing home residents report abuse and 95 report neglect. Are these numbers real? Unfortunately, the numbers are real. It's about one in 10 older adults in a nursing home that experience some type of abuse. It could be sexual abuse. It could be neglect, financial abuse, physical abuse. So they're staggering. Uh, in the community, we see about one in 20 older adults who are victims of some type of elder abuse. So they're almost is equal. That, is that a national statistic? It's a national statistic. It is. Yeah. Elder abuse can be uh, psychological, physical, financial, and often undetected. What does elder abuse look like? And what are some uncommon indicators of elder abuse? That's a great question. And I'm mm. glad you asked it. <laughs> and I would just encourage people to look in the mirror. That's what elder abuse looks like, regardless of your age. And some uncommon indicators that we often see would be an older adult who should be able to pay all their bills, who should be eating regular meals, but the refrigerator is empty, they don't have any food. Uh, we would argue that that's an uncommon indicator of abuse. About 950,000 older adults across the country do not eat as a result of financial abuse. So what are some warning signs of elder abuse? Well, those can get really tricky because our older adults don't love to report abuse. Mm -hmm. It's a severely underreported epidemic. About one in 44 older adults report abuse. Some of the um, signs can be withdrawal, anger, 
unusual behavior. Maybe uh, your mom or your loved one goes to church every Sunday and they've stopped going for the past three months. It's time to check in and find out what's going on. When someone suspects elder abuse, what should they do? Does this vary depending on the suspected victim at home or in a facility? So when they're living at home, what do they do? And then if they're living in a facility, what happens? So those are great questions. Let's start with the facility. If they're living in a, a long-term care facility mm -hmm. or an assisted living facility, I would encourage the loved one or the older adult to reach out to their local ombudsman. So every assisted living and um, nursing home has an ombudsman who come unannounced to advocate for residents. Ombudsman program was actually featured on a past mm -hmm. um, episode. So yes. um, very uh, yes. knowledgeable, finally, um, and understanding that program. I think in the community, it's a little bit trickier because we oftentimes, you know, want to mind our business or we're afraid to speak up or ask questions. And we encourage people to just ask the question. The worst thing that can happen is someone just says, it's not your business. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with hearing that, but what matters is they heard you ask and that you're paying attention and that they matter to you. So for someone in my position where I'm doing private duty um, and I have a client that I suspect is being abused or John has a client mm -hmm. um, in his law practice that has uh, an indication of there being elder abuse, what do we do and can we remain anonymous? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So if you suspect abuse or neglect of an older adult, we would encourage you to call the Texas Abuse Hotline. Which we'll put up at the end of the show. We'll Absolutely. put up that URL. It's an anonymous report. You can also file a report online. Uh, you're welcome to call any one of the aging resources in the community. Uh, in Dallas, it would be the Elder Financial Safety Center. If you don't live in Dallas and other states, we encourage you to reach out to the Area Agency on Aging or a social service agency that does support older adults. Okay. Brian, I'm going to step in here Please. for a minute and talk about from the legal perspective and prevention perspective, if you're not just somebody <clears throat> who's not close to the situation like a, like you or somebody a professional, but if you're actually a family member of that person and it's not too late, what you're trying to do and I'm sure we'll get into this a lot more as we discuss this, is to separate that person and their assets, their funds, their money from the abusive situation as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And there's a lot of tools that we use to do that. But the first step is to make sure that that abusive person no longer has access to money, no longer has access to the person if it's actual physical abuse. Um, if it's neglect, then they are separated from them and put in a place where they're not being neglected. So separating them from the situation, if you're the family, is something that we really need to concentrate on. Great. Thank you for adding that. How do I help make sure my loved one does not get cyber scammed when I live in another state? So I think that's a great question. And I would argue that there are three C's that we all can do to prevent abuse, whether that's a cyber scam or some type of financial fraud. So the first is connection. And that's very easy to do these days. You can connect by Zoom, you can connect by Facebook Messenger, you can connect by texting, calling. And then I would argue that you need to uh, care, show care for that person. That's really what any of us are looking for. That's the vulnerability that scammers play on. 
when they're looking to scam an older adult. And the third C is communicate. So I think a lot of times we see, we have older adult children call us from all across the country. And they're like, well, I, I live in Alaska. There's nothing I can do to help my parent. But there absolutely is something you can do. If you hear a news story about the latest scam, call mom, dad, or your loved one and just say, hey, did you hear this news story? That's wild. Have you received a call like that? A lot of times my mom will call and say, I got this in the mail, what should I do with it? Shred it, trash, ignore it. So those are the things that we can do to make sure, regardless of where we live, that we're protecting the ones we love. Yeah. With the cyber scam specifically, you wanna make sure that your uh, loved one has the latest software on their computer, uh, the latest antivirus, uh, mm -hmm. antivirus software. Antivirus software. Goodness. Um, and that you are uh, finding opportunities to make sure that they're connected to the resources in their community. So for example, at the Senior Source, we offer technology classes so that we can help prevent and reduce cyber scams. Interesting, that's mm -hmm. great. I know that um, I, I've actually had a client who got cyber scammed and they took all of her assets out mm -hmm. of every account she ever had. Um, and the family worked with the FDIC to get money back. Yeah. Um, but it can happen so fast. It can. Just a couple of months ago, we had someone come to us who fell for a Microsoft scam, mm -hmm. ransomware scam, lost them $150,000. And so it took their entire life savings. Yeah. And they're they're exploring new territory they've never had to explore before, like applying for SNAP benefits or other state benefits to help right. them through this really difficult time. Yeah. And to get back to your three C's, I've had clients who were adult children who didn't find out until we started doing a probate that they had been the victim, their parent had been the victim of substantial financial abuse and had lost a substantial amount of money. That's not the time you want to find out about it. You want to communicate and and be involved yeah. as early as you possibly can to avoid that. I often have clients that um, their adult children don't want to control the finances because they're afraid that they're going to make mom and dad angry and they're going to be exed out of the, the inheritance. Mm -hmm. And so they don't get involved and mom and dad are controlling all of their money and all of their assets and it's a cocktail for disaster. It's, it sure is. And I, I would just say get involved. What's the worst that's going to happen? And that inheritance, no one's entitled to. And we have to remember that. So it's more important to protect mom and dad or your loved one while they're alive and while they need that uh, income and that money to protect themselves long term. Yeah. One of the things that we're seeing is that older adults are living much longer, well into their 90s and 100s. I mm -hmm. mean, we started the episode with pen pals who were 100. And so it really matters that yeah. we're asking those questions and that we're being involved in ways that they'll allow us to be involved. And then I'm sure John can give us some more specifics about, you know, the legal ways we can ensure we're involved. Sure. Right. So it, it, it goes beyond just a conversation. It, it really when you talk about the legal side, you're talking about encouraging mom and dad to consider using def different techniques that well, I think we'll get into a little bit later in our conversation where they are using their estate planning, not only as something that helps when they pass away, because I, I constantly have to help people understand that estate planning is not only when you pass away, it's also while you're alive and to a deal with your situation if you're incapacitated yeah because a we want to avoid exploitation but b we want to do it in a way where we are avoiding guardianships that is not the road we want to go down if we can help it mm -hmm. 
Denial is very common in our elder community. How does one convince a loved one that they're being scammed? I know this is a terrible analogy, but sometimes I tell clients you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I mean, all you can do is put the facts there before you, Mm -hmm. for that person. Sometimes they recognize it. I've had a, I had a client, this is the most, one of the more interesting cases I've ever had. The lady (laughs) moved into a community, community care uh, environment and her adult sons were very concerned because she had a new boyfriend that she met in the community. And they brought her to me and they recognized, you know, this could be the potential for financial abuse. She recognized it. They talked to her. She accepted that and she put in place some pretty interesting planning that protected her. And I don't think they that would have happened if they hadn't talked to her about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and if I can add to that, I think, you know, one of the things we don't recognize um, in this country is the epidemic of isolation and loneliness. And I think we assume that happens. Oh, that must happen when you're like 80 or older. But the AARP Foundation actually did a study that shows that starting at age 50, at age 50, wow. which I'm not that far off from 50, if you, you know, thinking about yeah. that, it's pretty serious that. And most adults between 50 and 80 report, one in three report feeling isolated and lonely. And so isolated is going to be a situation where you don't have any type of network. Maybe you don't have transportation. Maybe you don't even have access to fresh groceries in your community. Loneliness is the feeling of maybe not having anyone to call in that moment, or maybe you missed your friend, you know, mm-hmm. at group and you're just you're feeling a little bit down about that. They're two completely different feelings but they're both feelings that expose us to being at risk for some type of abuse. Yeah, so I think the overall message on this topic is see something, say something. See something, say something, and just don't be afraid to speak up and ask questions. Good advice, thank you. All right, let's move on to some legal mumbo jumbo. (laughs) John, talk to us. How can appointing someone as your agent under a power of attorney reduce the risk of financial exploitation or abuse? Okay, so a power of attorney is a document where you're appointing an agent, an agent to take care of your business affairs. And that agent can use that power of attorney, as we, as you recall my earlier point, to start separating you from that abusive, financially abusive person. If they are able to take control of accounts, I know that's a C word that you don't like, (laughs) but under certain circumstances, you really need to take control and separate that person from a financially abusive situation. And if you're able to use your financial power of attorney as the agent to take control of mom and dad's accounts, then that is one of the first steps in helping with financial abuse. The Financial power of attorney is useful for a lot of people because a lot of people have in their asset mix a lot of retirement accounts, IRAs. And there are other techniques that we use to protect assets like revocable trust, but a a retirement account can't be owned by a trust. It has to continue to be owned by mom or dad. So the financial power of attorney is the only game in town when it comes to protecting that person from accessing those funds to pay to an abuser, a financial abuser. Okay. 
how do I choose the best agent and how can I be sure they act in my best interest? So usually the people who come to me are going to be in a family unit. There's somebody in the family that has stepped up to the plate and said, I'm going to help. I'm ready to help. I'm ready to um, deal with this situation for this person because I care about them. And if you are the senior family member, usually that's, that's somebody that you use. There's a growing problem. I call it a problem. At least legally, it's a problem of what you can call adult orphans, people who really don't have family members that they can rely on mm -hmm. for these kind of appointments. And I really just talked to them. Do you have close friends who are willing to intervene that care enough about you to help you if you become incapacitated? And that's really it. It's who would A, have the enough concern to, to step up and B, have some modicum of expert, not expertise, modicum of of ability to handle financial matters or communicate with your medical uh, providers if it's a medical power of attorney. But I, I tell people, if you have financial advisors, as long as the person that you appoint in this situation is willing to listen to those financial advisors, then it doesn't take a lot of expertise as long as they work as a team. Right. Yeah. So can I throw Please, out? absolutely. Okay, jump I in, just, jump in. There's a couple of things I want to add. So earlier we talked about uncommon indicators mm -hmm. and what we see a lot of at the Elder Financial Safety Center as an uncommon indicator of abuse are those who are an agent under a power of attorney abusing their privileges. So we like to make sure that people understand that it's the expressed wish of that older adult, yeah. whether they're incapacitated or not. So it doesn't give you free reign to just control right. mom and dad's money and do whatever you want with it. You still have to act in their best interest. Yes, act in their yeah. best interest. Um, and our financial counselor would say, whether I agree with this sentiment or not, is that if you have three children, don't allow the third child to be the agent because they are likely going to be the abuser. So we, believe it or not, have seen a pattern of that behavior as well. And then the other thing I would throw out that I know John would support is that um, having a co-agent. So having more than one agent um, so that there's more checks and balances. Because I think the natural assumption, regardless of whether you're a neighbor or a law enforcement officer or someone else in the field, is that, oh, they have the power of attorney. So they must, they must be able to be trusted. So and that's just not always the case. Right. I'm going to throw a caveat in here about that. I hope so. Yes. So one of my pet peeves for a really long time in Texas law is that if somebody is abusing their authority under a power of attorney, there is absolutely one weapon you can use to solve that problem, and that's an accounting. Well, who can require an accounting under Texas law? It used to be the person who was the principal, mom or dad, well, if mom or dad are being abused, it's quite possible that they are in the earlier mid stages of dementia and are not really in a position where they can demand an accounting of that person. 
or the executor of your estate. Well, it's a little too late at that point. So Texas law has amended that to allow certain other people, like if you were, are an heir at law, you could now demand an accounting of that person. But be proactive. If you're the principal, if you're the senior family member, right into your power of attorney, I trust child A, but I'm going to give child B the ability to demand an accounting if they think there is a potential problem. An accounting is the way to solve that problem because if they can't account for every dime they've spent on mom or dad, mm -hmm. if it's ended up in their coffers, that's a problem. I had a, a planning situation many years ago where two daughters found out that one daughter who had kind of been helping mom with their revocable trust was stealing from mom. What they really got mad about was when they found out that their sister had used some of mom's funds to give the sister's daughter the funds necessary to get a, a lap band procedure. Wow. And cosmetic surgery with mom's. Yes, with grandmother's wow. money. So the ability of somebody else to force an accounting is a pretty powerful tool and maybe everybody in the family is trustworthy. We don't have to worry about anybody, but it doesn't hurt to have it there. It may never be used, but if it's available, then, hey, you have the tool in your toolbox if you need it. Sure. Thank you for adding that. John, what is guardianship and what are some options to avoid guardianship? So a guardianship is, as I've said, the last road we want to go down if we can avoid it because it's a process whereby the state of Texas effectively takes away all of your constitutional rights as an individual and appoints somebody else to control either your assets and income if it's a guardianship of the estate or your person if it's a guardianship of the person and the vast majority of times it's a guardianship of both and it's a fairly laborious process as you would like it to be if you were going to be stripped of your constitutional rights. The first step is the family is going to have to get uh, documentation from a doctor that you lack capacity. And it's not just, hey, I got a letter from, no, no letters from your doctor. That's not good enough. There's a specific statutory form that the doctor has to complete once that happens, in smaller counties, they're going to appoint an attorney ad litem uh, to represent you, the senior family member. In larger counties like Dallas, they have both a, uh, they will appoint an attorney ad litem to represent you, but they'll also have a court investigator. So both of them are doing investigations, and that's going to take a long time. Dallas County is a very large county, for example. It's going to take several months for everybody to do their due diligence. And eventually you get a hearing. And if all of the ducks are in a row, then you are appointed as a guardian. Then you have to post a bond for the amount of mom's non-real estate that you are going to be controlling as guardian so that if you steal from mom as guardian, the bonding company will be able to make the estate whole. And you can't spend money 
mom's money without court authorization. You can't sell mom's assets without court authorization. You can't rent mom's assets without court authorization. You have to file an inventory. You have to file annual accountings. It is a mess. Yeah. You do. You want to avoid that mess. Stay off paper. Uh, when might a revocable trust be useful in avoiding financial elder abuse? Yes, a revocable trust is a favorite tool of mine. For this reason, I have unfortunately found over the years that many financial institutions like banks, brokerage firms, title companies will find excuses not to accept a power of attorney. And what I tell all my clients is your power of attorney is only as useful as its ability to convince a third party to deal with your agents. If a bank, brokerage firm or title company says, no, I'm not gonna deal with your son or daughter for a myriad of what I think are stupid reasons that they come up with, then you've got a problem. In 2017, the Texas legislature tried to make it mandatory that third parties um, accept powers of attorney but there are many, many, many exceptions to that rule. And it, it's not a very effective, it, it didn't turn out to be very effective. So there's still a lot of institutions out there that make it hard to be an agent under a power of attorney. My experience has been if they know about a trust in advance, if they know that you are co-trustee with mom right now, mm -hmm. Julie mentioned being co-agents, I love co-trustees. If it's a situation where it is potentially an abusive situation, I'm going to try to convince mom or dad, not only should you not be sole trustee, maybe you should be co-trustee with your son or daughter. Maybe you should have them be the sole trustee instead of you. I have had some success in persuading them to do that. But if the institution knows about that trust in advance, I've found that it's easier for that trustee, that child, adult child, to be able to manage mom or dad's funds uh, without the pushback that a agents under a power of attorney seem to get. If guardianship is unavoidable, what are the basic steps to get started? As I said, the first step is to get mom or dad to a doctor. That's a hurdle that a lot of families can't get over. Yeah. They're unwilling to, I hate to use the word force, but they don't want to just take mom or dad to a doctor if mom or dad are not willing to take. I've had so many conversations where somebody's called, I need to put mom or dad in a guardianship. Okay. Uh, well, have they seen a doctor recently? Oh, no. Okay. She hates doctors. She will never see a doctor. I said, well, that's a problem for you because you're not going to get in the doorstep without a doctor's certification of her incapacity. Are you sure she's incapacitated? Well, she's fine when she's sober. And I said, well, then you've got a really, really big problem. Bigger problem, exactly. Bigger problem. So the certification from the doctor is the first step, which requires an examination. Now, you can start down the road of a guardianship. You can apply without it. There is a procedure whereby you can have a court-ordered doctor's examination. I really don't like going down that road because you're kind of doing a building a house on speculation, right? Mm -hmm. You're assuming that the doctor's mm -hmm. going to say good things in about incapacity, but what if they don't? Then you've kind of wasted a lot of attorney's fees and time 
on this process. Right. So there's some gamble to that way to do, to proceed. And I would just add, we're really unique in Dallas that we have the Elder Financial Safety Center at the Senior Source, because oftentimes what we find is the same as John, is a lot of people will come to us and say, oh, I know mom and dad, I know one of them's incapacitated, they need a guardianship. There are a couple of alternatives to consider, and there's also the benefit of a third party unbiased resource to just kind of massage mom and dad, learn some information. Again, it's an area where a, adult protective services can be extremely useful mm -hmm. in helping with that assessment if that mom and dad's really struggling to go to the doctor. Also, if you're concerned, whether you live here in Dallas or in another state about mom and dad, there's alternatives like our money management program. So that might be trained vetted volunteers going into the home, making sure all that scam mail's in the garbage, right. making sure all the bills are paid, uh, helping to fill out checks that only mom and dad sign, make sure all the accounting is accurate. And in some cases, uh, before we get to that last resort of guardianship, it may be appropriate that um, the agency, meaning the senior source or another agency or representative is appointed as the representative payee by social security. So they manage all I mean, the funds, all that money, um, to make sure that mom and dad or your loved ones protected and it's audited. So there's plenty of oversight in those scenarios. And is there a fee associated with that? And uh, at the senior source, there's not a fee, okay. but there are some fee-based fee programs. Great yes. resources. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. So let me ask you, what haven't I asked you that I should? We've asked, we've covered a lot of ground, but mm -hmm. what, uh, is there anything that you want to add that I haven't asked you? I think um, it's just a, I would encourage us to, how do we have that conversation? What's the first step towards that conversation? There's a great resource that I would encourage people to check out called the Conversation Project. It's a wonderful tool yeah. and it just gets people started and it's baby steps. You know, I wouldn't bust open mom's door and say, mom, I need to know all of these right. things right now. That's not going to work, but it's just baby steps. Hey mom, what do you think about that? Well, what would you want to happen if this happened? Or who, who's Joe? Where did Joe come from? I've never heard about Joe before. Slow, baby steps yeah. in the conversation. Thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that. We'll put up the URL at the end yes, of the show. John, what tool. haven't I asked you that I should? I think the question you haven't asked me, and this is a add on to what Julie said, is about timing. Timing of this conversation should happen way earlier than you think it should. I can't tell you how many people have contacted me well, dad or my husband or my wife has been diagnosed to be in their early stages of some type of dementia. I don't say that that's necessarily too late to do this, but they should have started doing this kind of communication and planning and, and document creation way earlier than that. Yeah. That is not a good time to do this. It may be that it forestalls some of the options that we might have otherwise had if everybody was healthy and had a clear mind. So start these conversations earlier than you even think it's comfortable to start them. Great advice. Thank you for sharing that. All right, we're going to lighten it up a little bit, move <laughs> on to the nugget portion of the program. Uh, this is a clip that a viewer actually sent me that really tickled me and I want to share with you. <laughs> Oh, 
watch your step and watch your elders. All right, let's move on to the lightning round. This is an opportunity for viewers to get to know you guys outside of work, non-clinically, non-legally. One word answers. Are you ready? Let's go quickly. Where were you born and raised? Jonesboro, Arkansas. Dallas, Texas. College and degree. Arkansas State Business. Dallas Baptist University Management. Road trip or fly? Road trip. Julie? Fly. <laughs> Still in touch with college friends? Somewhat. No. Uh, ever been arrested? No. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Um, next, next question. Call or text? Uh, text. 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 All right. Bilingual? No. No. Favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. Chunky Monkey. Ooh, nice. IKEA furniture, self-assemble or outsource? Outsource. Self-assemble. Oh, wow, I'm impressed. iPhone or Android? Android. iPhone. Adrenaline junkie or two feet on the ground? Adrenaline junkie. Depends on the day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Karaoke, yes or no? No. Absolutely not. Okay. All right. <laughs> Who's your, uh, who is your industry mentor? I would say Clyde Farrell. Barber service. Beautiful. Proudest, uh, proudest career accomplishment? Becoming a certified elder law attorney. Nice. Waking up every day to serve our community. I love that. Beautiful. Thank you both for being here today. We've covered a lot, lot of ground, and I know there's so much more to cover. We may have to do episode three, four, and five. I will put your URLs for both of your companies up on the screen in case anybody would like to reach out to you further. We'll also put resources for the Texas Abuse Hotline, National Long-Term Ombudsman's Resource, National Adult Protective Services Association. And of course, if there's ever anything I can do for you, don't hesitate to reach out directly. You can find this episode and past episodes on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, or anywhere else you get your social media. Just search Manchester Living Podcast. Thanks for watching today.